Hi, it's Dee Dee on behalf of myself and Chanel and Kirsten. This episode you're about to hear was recorded before the shootings that occurred in Christchurch, New Zealand. We know we have a lot of listeners in New Zealand and we just wanted to say to you that we're thinking of you. We, I know we talk about death on this podcast, um, but we don't celebrate it. And like you, we were shocked and appalled and horrified by what happened. And we feel for those who died and for their families and their loved ones. So we just wanted to say that you are in our thoughts and our prayers, as I know the rest of the world would be supporting you in this awful time. Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Sorry. <laughs> I've been eating I'm nuts in the studio. with a chipmunk. How's your bubble? See, you've got this. I know. So much wrong. I'm drinking sparkling water, which makes you I've burp during recording. I've been watching the bubbles in it, thinking, why did you get carbonated water? I just can't drink normal water. I don't know why. I bought a soda stream recently. It's changed my effing life. We're already under the pump mm-hmm. for wet noises, mm-hmm. moisture in our mouths. Yep. And here I am, eating nuts and, and went... drinking sparkling water. Oh. Anyway, do you want to have a little vomit on the podcast? Just no, to top the whole I, two thing things. One thing it has nothing to do with dead bodies, but okay. it, what happened just before I came in here and it left me deceased, <laughs> which is the dead bodies part of it. I was getting my nails done. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at them before. Yeah, Very they're really nice, shiny, yeah. aren't they? How's this woman in the nail salon facetiming her boyfriend who's in bed, and they were almost video sexing. In the nail salon. Yeah. And he, she kept saying, this has nothing to do with dead bodies. No, and but I'm she kept it. saying to him, am I going to see you later tonight? And he kept going, oh, I'm pretty tired. And I was going, he does not want to see you. Yeah. yeah. What man's going to say? And no? they were saying gross things to each other. Oh. Mm. I find that more revolting than seeing a dead body. Yeah. I don't revolting. want to. I don't want to. No. No, thank you. Second thing. Yes. I need to apologise. What for? I'm really wired this episode because I haven't worked today and I've come in and I'm full of energy, but I was really wired during our last recording session because I was full of energy because there was a massive news story that was about to break and I was constantly checking my phone during our podcasting session and I wasn't reacting to any of the good shit that you said and when I listened back to the episode there was shit on there I hadn't even heard you say. I was I was very aware at the time. I Quite was, frankly, Shana, I, I'm exhausted from telling you off. So I listened um, to that episode <laughs> like a listener. I hadn't heard any of the shit you said. I know, I was said. aware of it. I'm you were, so you sorry. were looking at me and at all. And you had really good like lines and you were like, you know, and I was like, nothing. It was dead air. I was giving you nothing on it. Anyway, can I say, yes. just so our listeners are aware, I knew that the George Pell uh, story was going to break. So uh, Australia's highest Catholic, third highest Catholic in the world, Mm -hmm. uh, was convicted of... Pedophilia. Yes, sexually Mm -hmm. assaulting two choir boys. And it was a story I'd been working on really for weeks and weeks and weeks since last year. And there was a suppression order over the whole thing and there were moments where it was possibly going to lift, but I knew that it was going to lift the day after we recorded Mm -hmm. and I'd had so many 
news people asking me millions of questions all day, like, do you reckon it's really going to lift? Is it going to lift? What do you think? How sure are you? Just like, And I was just full of energy and I knew it was going to happen and I was dying. Yes. And I was constantly replying back to emails from a million people all, oh, all over the phone. network. I was aware of that. I was, I, know. I, was, I was doing my story, but I, I was glancing up thinking she's not listening to me. I wasn't. I'll keep going because that's a radio yeah. thing. And we just keep going. Where mm. People don't know the crap that's going on behind the they scenes. They don't. And I could see not yeah. only you not looking at me, but your phone going bing, bing, yeah. bing. Yeah. And so the next day it broke and I worked through it at midnight and then I had two hours sleep and then I woke up to do our early morning breakfast show and then I worked through till midnight again. Work were lovely. They put me in a hotel. I only slept in it for two hours, but it was lovely. Mm. Um, and I was just nonstop on the go. Well, can I say, I heard quite a bit of your coverage. I heard um, radio crosses you did. I saw your news coverage and it was stellar. I was oh, so proud. Thank I was like you. a proud mama. I know, but look, I also need to say you did a really you. good story last week and I eventually <laughs> heard it in the car when we recorded, uh, when Kirst sent through the lovely edited version. I didn't hear it while I was sitting here with you because I wasn't listening, but I am here. <laughs> I am present so today. Rude. So rude. And I've stapled shit and I've got stories and we are on. Chanel's brought an actual folder in today. So, yeah. so who's on first? Well, you go because I've a lot of my voices just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't get tired of it though. Oh, good. Uh, this is a story. Well, just I, I never uh, am cease to be amazed by how they used. So now you're going to listen to me too much. And it's going to unnerve me. Oh, the attention you're giving I'm me. So I'm so used on to you. Not I am 100%. Who, Nicholas, who? I am committed to DD right now. Thank you. Uh, yes. It never ceases to amaze me when they use DNA or when they solve a cold case. Oh, after can many, I just many quickly years. say something about DNA? You may. I sent, I did an ancestry DNA kit. Oh, okay. Keep that in your head. Oh. Well, what's your ancestry? No, well, I sent it away. You would have spit in a tube and then pour some liquid in it. All right. It. You are going to be used one day to solve a cold case. Let me tell you the story. Well, this is what Nicholas said. He said, I'm, they're going to frame me for a murder now because mm-hmm. Ancestry.com has my DNA. Mm-hmm. But it came back very accurate and I was amazed. That is so spooky you yeah. should mention that because this story relates to something like that. Okay. Um, this is, it actually happened in El Dorado County, apparently. El Dorado. There's, there's six. There's no accent appropriate for that. No, I just wanted to say it like that. Unless you can do a cowboy accent. Can't. They're working on nearly 60 cold cases there using new forensic technology. For some reason in this particular county, there's less than 190,000 people there, but they've got double the amount of cases in counties twice their size. So a lot of killing and stuff. So they're using the DNA like crazy. Right. All right, here's what happened. Um, We start with a young woman by the name of Bryn Rainey, and she was born in 1950. She went to Fireland High School in Ohio, in the US, of course. Mm Mm-hmm. In March of 1977, she was 27 years old and her brother and sister-in-law were going to a wedding in South Lake Tahoe, which is in Northern California. And she just loved it there. It's beautiful, actually. I looked up some pictures of it uh, on the worldwide interweb. Where do I know that from? What's happened there? Curse is agreeing. Something's happened there. Lake Tahoe. It's just a lovely place that probably... They set movies in, I would think. Okay. It's trees and mountains and fresh, clean air and all of that. And a very small population in this particular town, only 23,000 at the time. And she loved it so much when she went there for the wedding, she decided to stay. Right. And so she moved into an apartment complex on South Lake Tahoe's Emerald Bay Road. Um, Bryn liked hiking, riding her bicycle and sewing. 
Good smoker her. or non-smoker? It's mm. like an ad for a thing, isn't it? Mm. Very inappropriate because of what's going to happen to her. Oh. Um, she got a job as a motel maid and then she got a job as a kino girl at Nevada's Sahara Casino, which was not far away. And because it's 1977 and everyone used to hitchhike everywhere, she would sometimes catch the bus. What's sometimes, a kino girl? The kino game at the casino. Like lotto? Yes. Right. But it's got that big square and I don't, I've I never played lotto. it. Do you? Yeah, I play every week. I like roulette. Guess is laughing. I play mm. every week. It's a, Do you? We've spoken about this. Have we spoken about this? Think first? how much money you've lost. It's a competition to win money. Why would you not enter it? Have you ever won? Yeah, sometimes I win 20 bucks here, 30 bucks there. I'm and you've probably it. spent more than that. You're losing. Yeah, but I feel like You're I'm a loser, part of something. Chanel. It's belonging. It's what we all want. A few months later, after moving to this town, uh, Bryn, actually this was July 24th, 1977, she left work for the casino. She was working the 2 a.m. shift. Left home? Yes. Okay. So she was supposed to be at work for 2 a.m. in the, mor- in the uh, morning, yep. obviously. Yep. She was running a little bit early and oh. was waiting at the bus stop. A group of friends saw her, so they gave her a lift. They say it was around about 10 o'clock at night. They dropped her off at a pub that was, um, it was called the Bitter Creek Saloon, which was on her way to work, not okay. far from where she worked. Uh, the bartender there said that she was a regular there, so he recognised her. He didn't see her talking to anyone in particular. He didn't actually see her leave. And that was the last time anyone saw her alive oh. was when he saw her in the pub. Yeah. A few months later, her naked body was found <gasps> buried in a shallow grave in South Lake Tahoe in a horse riding area, which was known as the State Line Stables. Her body at that stage was so decomposed, they couldn't work out how she died. Um, but a pathologist was able to say that she'd been either um, suffocated or strangled. Every time I hear the word shallow, I think of that song out of The Star Is Born. It's my favourite shit right now. We're far from the shallow. And I always sing to Nicholas, shallow. Okay, everyone's just love it so off the podcast. But I love it. Oh my God, Gaga. I love, I really hope they're having a secret affair. Don't condone that kind of behaviour. Did you see them at the Oscars? Like, they were so close and like my ovaries were crackling. Just make out. Your wife is the hottest supermodel in the world, but please just be dating Gaga. Deadly Bradley Cooper. Okay, continue. Sorry, you said shallow grave and that's where my mind I went. I did. Mm. Two years later, June the 30th, 1979, a 16-year-old girl by the name of Carol Anderson, she vanished from an area not far from when Bryn had gone missing. Carol had epilepsy oh. and her mother very rarely let her go home, uh, leave home by herself. And Carol had wanted to go to a party and her mum said she didn't want her to, but Carol went anyway. Uh, on the night she she died, a few hours later, her battered battered body was found on the side of the road about four oh. miles away. And How long between this is? About two, uh, two years. Oh, two Between years. the previous, between yeah. Bryn and Carol. Yeah, right. two years. Um, investigators said she had been strangled and her wrists had um, marks on them to show that she'd been bound. bound. Yeah. And both of the girls had been sexually assaulted <gasps> and both of those cases remained unsolved for decades. Mm. So fast forward. Right. 2017, investigators made a significant break in both those cases. They matched some DNA from Carol's body. Carol was the second body that was found with DNA from a blood stain that was found on the shirt that Bryn, the first girl, had been wearing. Right. So they've connected the two crimes. Yes. Got you. That meant that 
the two girls had most likely been killed by, by the, the same, same man. Person. So they ran the, the DNA profile through the FBI's National Criminal Database, but yes. it didn't come up with a, a match. Oh. No one that they knew. The next year, a Parabon genetic genealogist searched the DNA profile against genetic blueprints that were available on public genealogy databases. Like, like Ancestry.com. Exactly. Like mine. They've got uh, in America another one called 23 I think my DNA will be sold. Yeah. Well, once you've sent your DNA there. Yeah. It's available for anyone. I'm okay with it. I'm a clean skin. Well, this is the same technology they used to catch the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo. It has actually raised a lot of um, privacy concerns because, well, I'm going to get your DNA and make a clone of you for the days when you're being annoying. It would be good to have two of me because sometimes Mm. I need to be in a lot of places at once. Yeah. I mean, it's good. A lot of people like search for relatives and stuff like that or find out what their ethnicity is and stuff. Yes. So anyway, this analysis led investigators to three dead brothers. They were able to then say that they – what are you looking up now on your phone? No, I'm getting my ancestry DNA up so I can right talk now, about it. Right now, in the middle of my story. Oh, I thought you were coming you to the end. Sorry. Well, it's not far, but like – Okay, sorry. This would be where I could use a few wows and things. Oh, okay. Go, 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 go. I oh, gosh, down. how did they do that bit of that? Yeah. Um, so three dead you. brothers. They've yes. matched the DNA on to the shirt. three dead brothers, which yes. is very disappointing because potential exactly. criminal is D-E – AD. That's Almost right. forgot how to spell dead. Good. Well, it was narrowed down enough that they said that one of these three brothers could have been the killer of those two girls. Mm. One of the brothers was Joseph Holt, who had been a real estate worker. Mm. So the genealogist built a sort of a family tree and using that they were able to find the son of this brother, mm-hmm. the son of uh, Joseph Holt. And he gave the investigators one of his dad's old toothbrushes. That happened in October of 2018. Why did he have that? Well, just around the house, I guess. What? Well, he probably went through the house and found What, your dad's old toothbrush after your dad's death? Maybe years ago I went to Mulberry Hill. It's the house that belonged to Dame Joan Lindsay and um, Norman Lindsay. She wrote Picnic at Hanging Rock. And I oh. went into the room where she wrote it. But anyway, they've left Mulberry Hill exactly. That movie has the most annoying soundtrack now that we're just talking about soundtracks. It's all the same <laughs> song. And people think Everyone that's true, knows that story. that stupid song. Kirst, put a little bit of the song in there. It is the do, same. Do, 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 do. There is there is no place in this world where panpipes are appropriate. It, it plays Stop through the entire movie. Unlike A Star Is Born, where you are captivated by every musical moment. That's right. Picnic at Hanging Rock. It just makes you want to tear your fucking eye sockets out because it's the same freaking song. Yes, Sorry. and people think that story is real. It's not. So anyway, I stood in the room where Dame Joan Lindsay wrote Picking, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yep. Weird room because in the middle of the room is a chair. And that's it pretty much. Yeah. There's a couple of things. But they've left – I haven't been there for many years, but they had left Mulberry Hill exactly as it was the day she died. And I can remember looking at her hairbrush and the hairs were still in it. Dad always says he might have a random son somewhere, so maybe I should keep one of Dad's toothbrushes. What? Yeah, he Papa says Vella that. Been up to? You know, he says that sometimes. And sometimes mm. I think he's being real. Being naughty. Anyway, Joseph Holt's son – Gave the investigators his dad's toothbrush. Three months later, bing, 
match was confirmed. So that <gasps> happened in January 2019. This guy that was Joseph only... Holt, yeah, not that long ago. Yeah, right. Amazing. Joseph Holt, it's an up-to-date current topical story, Shana. Yeah. Joseph Holt lived about six minutes from the home where Carol, the second girl. It's disappointing that he's dead, though. Mm. He also lived about a mile and a half from the location where Bryn, the first girl, was killed. Neither of the girls' families knew him. He'd never before come across the investigator's radar. They went to his house. They searched his garage in January of 2019. I don't know how long ago he died, but anyway. I I was going to ask, do we know how he died? No. Okay. Uh, They found in the garage what was described as evidence suggestive of other criminal conduct. And in this garage, there was also a clipping of a newspaper article from another unsolved case that had happened in 1975, which is two years before the first girl um, was killed. It was a story about a man who had tried to burglarise a car in Los Gatos near San Jose, and he shot the driver. The driver survived. And the investigators in that case that this story was about were able to put together a suspect sketch and apparently that strongly resembled Joseph Holt. Right. And how he looked at the so time. Just under the radar. And the handgun that was used in that shooting had been used from a um, a cab driver in South Lake Tahoe. So getting, I am getting towards the end. Should I get my DNA? Yes, I'll okay. just keep talking because I'm okay. used to talking to the though. top no, of no, your no, head. No, 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 I'm listening. I'm so listening. Uh, Joseph Holt, as I mentioned, he won't face justice. He died in 2014 and the investigators really wanted to emphasise that his family had been really cooperative and they didn't know anything about any of these allegations against him. And they think that both the murders were crimes of opportunity because the girls were walking away from a bar or a party and they think that the motive was probably sexual assault. They're now looking into whether he could be linked to more cold cases in the um, in the county. Where so was his wife? I don't think he was married. Oh. Don't think he was married. But just for the families of the girls, back in 2015, CBS News interviewed the relatives of both Bryn and Carol. Yeah. And they said that the murders were absolutely devastating for their families and making their grief worse was the fact that they didn't know what had happened to the girls or, or who had done it. Yeah. And both of the girls' mothers died without knowing the identity of their oh, daughter's killer. Oh, that's terrible. I know. So hopefully it brings a little bit of closure. And as I mentioned at the beginning, they're working on more than 60 cold cases to try and, you know, bring some, I don't know what you call it, not relief to the family, but just mm. closure is probably the only appropriate word, isn't it? So I did this ancestry thing because, like, mum's side was a little... With Are the these the ones that killed people? Oh, Yeah, okay. like there was a little bit of... <laughs> Indiscretion going on on mum's side that we don't often talk about. I talk about it all the freaking time because it's so obvious. Like, why am I white with blue eyes? I'm meant to be Sri Lankan. What's going on? You know, it's a valid question to ask sometimes, right? So, um, did my DNA actually came back really accurate, which is scary because I only I spat in a little tube. You dirty bird. Yeah, I know, and I was doing. I was doing it while I was in bed next to Nicholas because <laughs> it was on my bedside table. I said, oh, I should do this. And I decided going, P-. and he was like, do you have is to do it Is he still going to marry you? He I is. Th- he is. Okay. Mm. So just from my saliva, yep. I worked out I'm 44% Southern Asian, which is the Sri Lankan. Yeah. 
I'm 29% um, from the Italian region, which is the Maltese, which is so accurate because dad's Sri Lankan, uh, dad's Maltese, yeah. mum's Sri Lankan. How accurate. And then it has, you know, I'm 10%. What the other bits? The other bits Yeah, the I other love. bits are, bit are crazy. So 10% um, Turkey and the, is it the ca- you call cascus? Turkey? Cor- yeah. What, how do I say what that? What is it? What's the word? What's that? I've got my glasses on. The course. Caucasus, 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 Caucasus. 8% Western and Central Indian, 2% Middle Eastern, 2% Greek, 2% um, England, Wales, 1% Southeast Asian, 1% Ireland and Scotland, 1% Portugal. What an interesting mix. Right? I'm a real mutt. You are. Yeah. Well, no, no, that's close to purebred. If you're, uh, well, no, half, I'm going to say half and half. Yeah, because my mum's parents were kind of like an arranged marriage. Oh. And then grandma, I probably shouldn't be saying this publicly, but I am. What of it? It's truth. Um, And then grandma had an affair with her true love and had mum. Wow. Yeah. But she wasn't allowed to be with him because he was a police officer and that wasn't a really good profession back then. So she wasn't allowed to marry him. No. And so she had an affair with him and the blue eyes are the throwback gene. Oh, that's him? Yeah. Yeah. So it's always like in the family they're like, oh, the blue-eyed ones. Mm." Wow. Yeah. And there was just a lot of risky business going on on mum's side. So I just wanted to know what the deal was. So did you inherit the morals of an alley cat? Um. Maybe. No. No, you're a good girl. I'm good. You're a one-man woman. Speaking of good girls, Basma and Sabrina. Yes. Is what? Basma is a boy. Have you always Well, I just always assumed Basma was a boy. What? I thought they were two girls. Oh, we've done it again with Basma and Sabrina. The questions continue. I thought Basma was a girl. I thought Basma was a boy's name. Oh, cursed is... Cursed, turn your microphone on. I have to. I'm, I'm now. I'm going to Google. My voice is shot today. I'm so sorry. What have you been doing? I've been at my grandma's 90th birthday oh, all no. long weekend. Okay. okay. So did you think girls or boy and girl? I thought boy girl. I <gasps> thought Sabrina obviously girl. Yes. And then Basma. I thought Basma was a girl. I mean, it's not. I'm. I'm. I've just googled Basma, and it's coming up all pictures of girls. Yeah. Maybe the, they're both girls. They're girls. Oh, sorry. What were you thinking? I don't know why I thought that. You thought Basma was a boy? Yeah, Yeah, I don't know why I thought that too. Why did we just assume that? I don't know. They'll write in. Because I want them to get married or something. Well, they still might. Well, they can. Yeah. That's okay. okay. So what's this 2019. Um, Okay, so if you're just joining us, where have you been? Basma and Sabrina (laughs) send us emails all the time and um, we're not sure what gender they are, but we love them. Basper and Sabrina always sent in guesses about where my dead body spot yes. was. Now that that's over, they said they're going to send us stories that relate to things they learned at school. Okay. So this story. Oh, because I think in one of my replies, I told them to go and do their schoolwork. Correct. Yes. So they say um, the first subject we decided to do is maths. It makes school seem less useless because we found that the real life application that our teachers always tell us about. <laughs> Right? Teachers are always doing now, that. Now, yes. Basma and Sabrina, I've extended your story. It is a very good story. What did they pick? They've picked a story about Caroline Brin, who was a 24-year-old model. You might know this story. 
Her boyfriend was Gordon Wood, and they'd been dating for a few years. Now, Gordon was the personal assistant to businessman Renee Rifkin. Oh, okay. Yes. yes. Remember him. Um, he was a stockbroker. Mm-hmm. Convicted of insider trading in 2003, he committed suicide. He was always in a dressing gown and a cigar. Yes, he was a real character. Living the high life. Yes. Committed suicide in 2006. Yeah. Now, is it Carolyn or Caroline? I'm not sure. I should be with a Y would be Carolyn and with an INE would be Caroline. Yeah, I think Caroline. When she wasn't modelling, she worked as an etiquette instructor. Or a modelling coach. Hmm. You and I could never be etiquette instructors. What do they call it? Deport. Excuse me, I've De- got very good posture. Mm. But we talk like pigs, so anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're trash mouths. On this podcast we are. Actually, in your real life, when you're on the radio, you're very professional. My dad texted me the other day and said, yes. I've been listening to Dee Dee oh, on the weekend. He, he said that he loves listening to you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he sent me this text while I was doing work. He said, I'm just letting you know I've been listening to Dee Dee. And he's, he said this. He said what the dads <laughs> always say. I love she should have been a much bigger personality than what she is. Oh, what does that mean? I Have don't I know. I don't I know. You've had such a stellar career. <laughs> and dad just went, she should have been a much bigger personality oh, than what she is. so lovely. I think he wanted worldwide appreciation. That's so nice. Mm. I'm very flattered that he listened. Oh, he does. He listens to everything. Papa Vella. Okay. On June 7, 1995, Caroline didn't show up at work or attend her psychiatrist appointment. People, of course, became worried. And there were three sightings of her near the Gap at Watson's Bay in Sydney. Now, the Gap is uh, its a whole lot of cliffs, really, that overlook the ocean. And it is a well-known place for suicides. Mm. It's known for that. Um an update to this also is between 2008 and 2011, they have put numerous measures in to stop people jumping off those cliffs because oh, it happens okay. so often. So going back to 1995, Gordon, that's Caroline's boyfriend, yeah. woke up on his couch after falling asleep in front of the television and he says he was instantly worried that she wasn't home. He said... In that moment, he had a telepathic communication to go to the gap. Is it to, can I call bull dust at any point in this story? Because I'm going early. Yeah, red flag. Red flag. And bull dust. Right. Is there a sound effect for bull dust? I think so. Kirsten will find one. So he says he has a telepathic communication to go looking for her at the Gap. So he jumps in his car and heads to the Gap Cliffs. He says he drove around there and went to a car, uh, went to a park near there where they'd often picnicked, but he couldn't find her. So heading back from that park, he spotted Caroline's white Suzuki Vitara parked in a lane at the Gap. He starts running along the top of this cliff and is yelling out her name. And that's when two rock fishermen say they saw him do that. Yeah. And that was around midnight, but he still can't find her. It's such a weird thing to do. Right? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. So he has a telepathic communication. He goes to the gap. Her car's there. But wouldn't the first thing you do be ring her best friend and say, is she over at your place? Ring her mum. Is she, is she, is she there? Sure. Not go running to a cliff and... Mm. Okay. Gordon rings Tony uh, Byrne, who's Caroline's father, 
and he rings her brother, Peter. At this point, he drives back to Sydney. He mm. picks all of them up and then they go back to the gap and they start running around. All three of these men are running around looking for her on this clifftop. And remember, it's late at night. Yeah. Peter says, the brother, that at about one o'clock, Gordon told them he could see her at the bottom of the cliff oh, no. using his torch. He rec- he says, I can see her. She's at the bottom of the cliff. Yeah. Peter said he couldn't see anything. So obviously they run over. They mm. try to see her. They can't see her. They ring the police. The police turn up and they're using their big police torches. Mm. They can't see her either. He says she's down there. Um, Peter... The brother said it was difficult to see the rocks below the cliff, mm. let alone a body on those rocks. Her dad said, this is a quote, it was the blackest night. There was no moon. It was just mist and darkness. I wonder if there's any other way down there other than going off the mm. cliff. Whether you, there was a... Stay with me. Okay. Police go down there and they found her body. Yeah. Um, by now it's after midnight, so her date of death is is June the 8th, technically the next day. At the time, police determined that her death had been a suicide, which was, as we discussed, quite normal for that location. But because they deemed it a suicide, they didn't take any photos of where her body had landed or the area surrounding. Ah. Now, we move a year on and Caroline's father begins to strongly argue that his daughter had not committed suicide and the media begins to pick this up, writing about Caroline's death as one of Sydney's unsolved crimes. Mm-hmm. And I can I can see from the media point of view, and this is so typical of our media, she's a beautiful model, her boyfriend's connected to this famous businessman, mm. there's the mystery about it all. So it really starts gaining a lot of momentum in the media. Yeah. And if it's a tragedy, if she has Correct. you know, thrown herself off a cliff, right. that's the story, isn't it? So in 1997, May of 1997, the New South Wales coroner declared that he was not satisfied with the death being ruled a suicide and that reopened the case and detectives start investigating. Mm. Two years after that, in another inquest, the coroner made an open finding and said there wasn't enough evidence based on all this new stuff they'd found, and he suspected that a known person was involved in her death. Gordon was an obvious suspect Mm. and probably the only suspect, right? So there was some evidence to suggest that he was involved in her death, given the fact that the witness saw him at the top of the gap. Mm -hmm. Um. And I guess that he had this telepathic communication just to go there. Um, But he had an alibi to clear him of guilt. His friends, two of his friends, so they had lunch with him around one o'clock in the afternoon Mm. in an entirely different suburb uh, before he was called away for work. Mm. Uh, He spent the rest of the day working, didn't go home until seven o'clock. And since... Again, police had ruled it a suicide. They didn't have any evidence or photos of the scene to really look at what had happened. So you know what I can't stop thinking about is that he was saying he could see the body from the top of the cliff. I know. But they were all saying, I can't see I it. I know, right? Yeah, okay. And there's part of me that thinks in that moment, is he thinking, shit, 
how do I say I can see her when I can't? Yeah. So I'm just going to have to say she's down. I saw her. She's down there. Yeah. In 2003, eight years after Caroline was found, police contacted a man called Rod Cross. He uh, was a physicist at the University of Sydney and they wanted him to check the maths. And this is where Basmer oh, and Sabrina Basmer get into the Sabrina. maths. Good girls, um, girl boy, boy About girl. whether or not Caroline could have really slipped or jumped off the cliff. Mm -hmm. Using the height of the cliff, the distance between Caroline's body and the base of the cliff and the weight of her body, Cross was able to put together a few simple formulas which led him to the conclusion that it was not possible for Caroline to have jumped. Or, So he would have looked at how, so they must if have you were to jump. marked where she landed or Correct. where she, her body was. Yes. Even if she sort of ran and... Mm. So they've okay. worked out she didn't jump. Oh. It was his evidence that pushed the Crown to lay charges and Gordon was charged with murder and he was arrested in April 2006. But he had an alibi. Well, new evidence. Oh. The trial began on July uh, in July 2008, but by August the trial was in trouble. And this is, I quite like this part. I think it's quite interesting. One of the jurors, one of the alleged jurors, so the trial is going, Yeah, rang a Sydney radio station. What? The biggest no-no of all time. Without revealing their identity, they said that they had planned to make a secret trip to the Gap and there were claims of bullying by one juror who alleged um, had told others that they had their mindset on Gordon being guilty and they didn't want to hear otherwise. This is a nightmare for a trial. Yeah. A total nightmare. What an idiot. And just for a bit of background, juries do go on site visits. Yeah. It's normally within the first couple of days of a trial starting, they'll take them out. They all go on this bus and there's people that are charged with looking after the jury mm. and making sure they don't stray away, they don't talk to anyone out at the scene, and they will go with the judge and be walked through a scene so mm. that they can get their head around where things are. But going on your own mm. is a big no-no. And contacting the media, big no-no. Yeah. So uh, the judge recalled the jury, uh, told them of the alleged call and asked each juror to separately take the witness stand. He asked them three questions. Did they make the phone call? Were they aware of any other juror making the phone call? And were they aware of the plan to go and visit the crime scene? Each of the 12 jurors replied no to every question. Someone's lying. Well, prosecutors said that they thought it was clear it was a hoax and that oh, it could have been any of them that called, but mm. the judge wasn't having any of it through the whole jury out. Which I think is the right thing to do. Yeah. It's totally to. the right thing to do. Yeah. Outside court, Gordon said that he continued to maintain his innocence and he hoped that the next jury abides by the judge's directions. And also just on that, when you get impaneled on a jury, you probably have about an hour to two hours of sitting there before mm. the trial starts where the judge gives what he calls his charge and it is word for word, spells out what you can do and what you can't do, Right. what's okay. involved. So they're very much so aware. they know all that. Yeah. Yep. Um, Gordon went on to say, this has been a very stressful time for me, as you can imagine, because these allegations have been around for many, many years and I want this case finalised. So they did retrial 
On November 21, 2008, Gordon was found guilty Mm. of Caroline's murder. He was sentenced to a minimum of 13 years and a maximum of 17 years and four months. So he would be approaching the end of the sentence. By February 24, 2012, after only serving three years. What? His conviction was overturned. No. I seem to remember 60 Minutes or something. Yes. He went to the Court of Appeal and was acquitted on the fact that Rod Cross, the expert, wasn't qualified to give the evidence that he did, um, which was around how the body may have fallen. They also found there was insufficient evidence to prove beyond reasonable doubt that Mr. Wood, Gordon, killed the model. In 2017, Wood launched legal action against the state of New South Wales. He was trying to sue for millions of dollars plus costs for malicious prosecution Mm -hmm. and wrongful imprisonment based on a number of grounds, including a hopelessly corrupted and ridiculous police case against him. On August 10, 2018, he lost. Mm. He lost his $20 million case and will not receive that payment. But I do think, and I've done a bit of reading, that he could still get compensation for being wrongfully imprisoned. Gosh. And what happened to Caroline might never be known. Well, I think we know. Well, we're not allowed to say, are we? Would well, we be in contempt of court? We might be. Right. So we mm. won't say it. But It's mm. been overturned. So I'm technically... telepathically... <laughs> Giving you the message. <laughs> he has he's had his conviction overturned, so technically he is an mm. innocent man. You're getting the telepathics. <laughs> <laughs> but Basma and Sabrina, so good. Yeah. They were right. It was solved by maths, but then kind of overturned. Yeah. But I like it. I don't mean to poke holes in your story. Thank you for sending it. Is Wendy there? Wendy's there. Hi, Wendy. (laughs) Wendy. Hello. (laughs) The reason we wanted to talk to you was because, um, well, you worked in the funeral industry as a mortuary and funeral assistant, but it was the fact that you saw importance in finding humour in death. Mm. Yes. So give us some examples of what used to go on. Well, um, and the reason why I actually contacted you about this was because you get people that, write in and say, oh, you know, you shouldn't laugh and you shouldn't say this and that and the other. The haters. The haters. The haters, yeah. I thought, no, it's really important to, you know, when you're discussing sort of topics like this or if you're working in in, uh, fields where you're dealing with a lot of dead bodies, uh, emergency services people. So that's why I wanted to talk about it. But, um, yeah, so in the funeral parlour, which I was working there sort of mid-90s, and um, we used to have some awful times. If if anyone was listening in, you know, they would be just mortified. <laughs> At the conversations. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, you know, outwardly we would project the really professional front and all the people that we dealt with, the, the loved ones, the families, including the dead bodies, all treated with respect. But we were partly insane in the background, you know. <laughs> but Wendy, did you see? So I imagine you would have come across uh, lots of people who worked in that area, so police officers and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Did you see the effects of trauma on those people? Uh, I didn't have a lot to do with them. I um, I knew more sort of more, more socially rather than in the work. Mm. Um, yeah, everyone that I would come across would have the same kind of dark humour. And 
when you're all in, you know, you're dealing with the similar things, you'll all sort of have these little side jokes all the time. You've got to be careful not to say them in mm. front of, you know, certain people because they can come across as a little bit tasteless and... Um, but, um, like, for instance, uh, I became good friends with um, the chief burner at the local crematorium. Is that the name I of work. Is, is that the, the actual chief, name of the job? The chief burner. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was back then. I don't know if it's changed. Wow. Um, so I was friends with him, and I was also friends with an ambulance officer. And we used to meet up on a Friday night after work and just catch up and unwind. And, and um, at one stage, someone said, don't go near those three. They're in cahoots. And the ambulance guy turned around and he said, that's right, I kill them, she kills them, and he grills them. Oh. <laughs> you know, and the place kind of fell apart. And, and um, just to clarify, the ambulance officer obviously doesn't kill people. No, but correct. But it was at a time when they were getting a lot of bad publicity about being late to places and you know, things like that. But what? yeah, we would have lots of fun like that. That's almost a T-shirt. If we ever do do the nice things, nice things (laughs) T-shirt. And, Wendy, can we ask you when you saw your first dead body? My first dead body was before I'd worked in the industry. Um, I actually, similar to a story that you mentioned last week, um, sorry, yeah, it is now last week, but um, Mm. motorcycle rider. And I just came, came up the street just not long after he'd, crashed the motorbike and he was laying on the road and of course everyone sort of pulled up out of the way and you know what do we do what do we do and again back in the days before mobile phones I think someone had called police and ambulance and um and all of a sudden yeah there's just blood pouring out from his helmet as he lay on the road and you just knew he was gone so when did how many um how many dead bodies would you have seen over your career uh, oh, I would say maybe 150, somewhere around that. Good heavens. What yeah. did you actually do? What was your job? So I used to go, um, I started off as a mortuary assistant, so I'd be preparing the bodies for funerals and, and viewings and things like that. Um, back in the time, back then, I was, uh, wasn't too common to have women in the industry. They were around. So everyone assumed that I'd just apply the makeup, uh, but it was a little bit more involved than that. Uh, so I did that, and also, as they needed me, they'd take me on and I'd do funerals as well and various things like that. So it was a great fun, great job to do, very rewarding. I don't know why I'm asking this, but I am. Hmm. Do, dead, <laughs> do dead people, do you have to put underwear on them? <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know why well, I thought about that just then. Do yeah. You? That's actually a good question um, and something that we just took for granted. When people would bring clothes, yeah. we'd say bring something nice that you want them to wear and yeah. they would always bring all of the undergarments and well, as well and we would just dress them in everything. It was kind of, I don't know, it was like, well, I mean, no one's going to know if they haven't got their That's what um, I mean. yeah. underpants on, but it's a, you dress a person that way and, and we used to do that. So they are wearing underwear? Yeah, they're wearing underwear oh. unless hmm. they don't bring them, but everyone I can remember would have. Well, I, know, I don't know why I thought of that. Well, anyway, it, it's but... kind of not. Well, it's all about the dignity, isn't it? Yeah. Did, when did you. Yeah. Did it ever upset you? It, um, it did start to get to me after a while. Yeah. Um, 
I think because they they moved me, they were getting me onto more funerals because they decided I was the only female there. Oh, well, she can do all the sensitive things like suicides, mm. um, babies, young children, young parents, and you know, after a while of dealing with that, that's really full on yeah. grief. Uh, that really started to get to me. So, yeah, I had to sort of look at removing myself from it. Because I feel like a good day in that job is when you've got Betty who's 89 years old or 95 years old and Mm. she's, you know, just lived a great life. But then you've got the days where there's kids and Mm. that would be awful. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard. And and seeing like a young young parent die and just seeing their young children Mm. just screaming, things like that, it's, yeah, it's it's so unfair. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. Just to change the mood a little bit. Now you're relatively anonymous because we're we're just calling you by your first name, and you're a, <laughs> yeah. You, I don't want hate mail. You know, <laughs> no, no, no. You won't get that. You know, you're among friends. Yeah. Can you tell us any pranks that might have happened behind the scenes in a funeral home? Uh, oh, I don't think we sort of really pranked each other. The the guys used to always try and get a rise out of me because I was always very... I used to be quite serious to begin with, you know, and because it was such a new industry for me. And so they'd try and get a rise and they'd say, hey, come and look at this, come and look at this. And there'd be someone on the, the table in the mortuary with their chest cavity open oh. and things like that. And they'd go, hey, look at this. And I'd look and say, yeah. <laughs> what? Like, I think when I'm dead, I'm okay with someone using my arm to wave at someone. Yeah. <laughs> like, while, you know, while it's yeah. still attached to my body. Yeah. Not if it's off, but maybe just, but we, we, that would be funny. We did have, um, around Christmas time, I think it was a month before Christmas, we had someone in the, the fridge at work that was waiting on their family who were coming from overseas for the funeral, and his name was Jesus. And so I... Would you like me to do an accent for you? No. No? No, no, because... <laughs> I'm probably going to offend every religious person that listens to me. I've already done it, Wendy, (laughs) so it's fine. So uh, I walked into work and one of the guys says, oh, we've got Jesus in the fridge. And I said, don't be silly. I said, it would be Jesus. And I walk off and he comes back and he says, all right, would you believe me if I said, we have Santa in the fridge. Don't mess me around just before Christmas, I told him. (laughs) (laughs) His name was like Jesus Santa something. Oh, it actually was Santa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's probably, yes, okay. (laughs) So they used to do silly things like that. Yeah. And it's an important way to get by, isn't it, to, you know, not lose your mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and we, we used to keep our Friday afternoon beer stash in the fridge with the bodies. Oh, (laughs) okay. In the same fridge. (laughs) So when I asked about pranks, (laughs) you couldn't remember. Grab me a cold one. But the beer's in there with the body. That's fantastic. Wendy, thank you so much for talking to us. That's okay. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice things, nice things. (laughs) Absolutely. Bye. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.